If you could give 15-year-old Carrie some advice, what would you tell her? Now, I had a very different answer to that question a few weeks ago when these questions and answers were coming out. Um, but my, my advice to her in this particular point would be this, and this is what I would say to 15-year-old Carrie. In the year 2020, you are going to be facing a plague bigger than any of your other ancestors have possibly faced since 1912. Um, so start saving up on toilet roll now. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, so lovely to be with you. I do apologise. I've got to stop apologising. I, every time I get on here, I always, I always have to apologise, don't I? About not doing a podcast earlier. But the fact is, um, we've all been quite busy and or distracted, but I did feel like it was a very good idea to record a podcast whilst there, whilst there is a car alarm going off in the background. <laughs> as soon as I press record... Can you hear, maybe, I'm hoping you can't hear that, but there's a lovely car alarm going off in the distance, so that's a fun distraction in itself. But listen, I've, um, I've really been thinking about you guys. I know a lot of my listeners are single. I know a lot of the demographic are um, potentially people that are living on their own. And so I need you to know that um, there are a lot of people praying for you right now, Um, not just in the sense of isolation or loneliness, but just in the sense of self-reflection and introspection that can happen when we have a little bit too much time on our hands. So um, my heart and hope is that there are lots of people around you that recognize um, and will include you, even if it's onto Zoom meetings and um, all these video screens that we're having to engage with. I know really they are actually more draining than normal meetings, just FYI. So if you're feeling pretty exhausted by the end of it, it's very usual. Um, Whenever I do coaching sessions or um, any of those kind of intense conversations that you're likely to have, um, especially in my line of work, if you're a pastor or someone that's guiding other people now online, don't be surprised if you have to have lesser meetings during the day because there is just... There's more, there's not a sensory overload, but it's more you have to focus all of your senses into one screen as opposed to enjoying the the environment of which you two people are sitting in a room. So if I've been having this conversation with a fair few pastors, just going, I'm absolutely exhausted with doing so much online. I've been doing so much of my work and my journey online for the last year or two, um, but it has certainly ramped up since this quarantine has taken place. So uh, for those that are new to Zoom meetings or video conferencing calls, they are a little bit more exhausting. Pace out your day um, in a way that actually maybe a, a, a one and a half hour meeting can be an hour meeting or an hour meeting can be 45 minutes just because you are likely to be putting much more effort into one tiny screen um, than you would be in a sort of in even a phone call. So anyway, we're going into part two of the Q&A and I um, am very excited to share just a few more thoughts, really, on the journey of life itself. And sometimes I think, am I just waffling on giving you more random ideas about things that aren't really important? But 
I do hope that some of these are helping. And I, and I would say this, I really do love your messages on Instagram and you reaching out. I've uh, been so uh, beautifully blessed by these questions that you guys have handed in. And lots of them are of, of different topics. So what I might do is try and section them into t- to different topics over this particular podcast. So the first set of questions might be over relationships. And the second set of questions might be over vulnerability and hope. And the third set of questions might be over personal questions towards me, um, which I'm very happy to answer. I'm not massively, despite what some people might say, I actually don't love talking about myself all that much. I like talking about concepts and teaching. I have a lot more confidence when I'm talking about those things than uh, just waffling on about my own likes and dislikes. Um, But very happy to touch base if people are interested in that. I will start off with a light, airy question that was given to me, and I thought it was apt for this time. And someone said, if you could give 15-year-old Carrie some advice, what would you tell her? Now, I had a very different answer to that question a few weeks ago when these questions and answers were coming out. Um, but my, my advice to her in this particular point would be this. And this is what I would say to 15-year-old Carrie. In the year 2020, you are going to be facing a plague bigger than any of your other ancestors have possibly faced since 1912. Um, So start saving up on toilet roll now. And hopefully I'll have enough to survive the quarantine. That's probably would have been the best advice I've ever given myself. Um, I could have told myself about the wonderful findings of Blaise Pascal or... I could have even ruminated on the book of Daniel much earlier on than I did ever in my life. But no, no, that's the that's the advice I would give now. Stuck up on new role because we're all going to lose our minds in a in a in a state of frenzy. We won't run out of Tylenol or aspirin or the things that might actually calm down a fever. But we will absolutely go mad over new role. Um, so that's probably the, the piece of advice I would give my 15-year-old self. Next question. Let's go straight in, shall we? Someone just said, uh, top five reasons to not cohabitate. Don't do it. Don't. Please don't do it. Because here's the deal. If you're willing to go that far in a relationship, and hear me out when I say this, if there are people out there that are cohabiting, I, this is not a judgment call. Okay, I please do whatever whatever you want to do in your life, you do it. It's not it's not my journey that you're choosing to have. However, what I would say is I wish I'd been asked the question myself and I perhaps was asked this question and I just was blind and not willing to be teachable. I didn't understand the concepts of being teachable at that point. I didn't understand the concepts of taking ownership of certain things. And so I was just pursuing happiness in ways that, you know, were often self-sabotaging although I didn't know that at the time. Um, top five reasons, I don't know whether I have them in order, but what, what I would say is the number one question I was asked is why, why if you're living with each other, would you not get married? Um, for me, if there's a question of, oh, I don't know. For me, the reason why I lived with my boyfriend back in the day um, and why we didn't marry is because there was actually a trust factor for me that I didn't massively um, feel super confident in and I'm actually really stunned looking back that I I was asked the question why aren't you guys getting married 
And I just said, well, this is the next step towards it. But the reality was, is that the choices of all of that commitment, all of that furniture, all of the things that you put together, the bills, the families that integrate, all of the combinations, you're essentially living a married life without the covenant blessing. And so what that does is it, it, and hear me out, there have been friends that have actually done that and they married and they've lived very happy lives. It's not, it's not a doom and gloom, honestly, it's not a doom and gloom choice, But I would say as a recipient of breaking up from that relationship, it was the most painful thing I think I've ever gone through outside losing my own father to death. And um, and what happens is a lot of the community don't recognize it like a divorce. They just see it as another breakup. And uh, there's almost a sense of relief that it didn't work out because of your choices that you made in the first place. (laughs) And that's pretty painful when you're actually going through Uh, heartbreak and you really just need your community to be there for you and so prizing yourself apart is it's a very similar thing of exceeding intimacy with trust I think cohabitant is the physical format the tangible format it's often it feels like a lovely idea it feels like the romantic thing to do but honestly I was actually going along with there normally is someone in the relationship that wants to live with the other person outside of marriage more than the other. It's not often a universal thing. And normally we overcompromise in the hope that we'll just stay connected and get closer and closer to that person. But actually I ended up giving that person my everything and I didn't actually have anything left of me when we broke apart. So that's why it was so painful because I, I forgot how to unmerge myself from that person that I'd done, you know, four and a half five years with um so even if you do an amicable breakup in which this was on many levels it's still very very painful and it's just not something that you would wish on your worst enemy honestly um so I think the questions need to be why would you not want to marry um so you're gaining all the beautiful parts of marriage still without the commitment commitment you know and so there is still this part of you that's it's very it's very difficult to be that vulnerable with someone um to be fully embraced to be fully unconditionally loved because someone's still chosen not to marry you in those particular aspects now if you're not of a faith mind and if you actually I've got friends that um live with each other they don't they have three children with each other they don't believe in god and they didn't see the matrimony of marriage but if you are faithful people if you are living christians and at some point you guys know that you want to be married i think it's really good to ask those questions of like what are the hindrances here that are making us not want to go into marriage i think it opens up a more interesting conversation than judging some friends who are cohabiting so be really if you're a friend of people that are living with each other please don't go down the judgy route it really doesn't help and essentially those people won't want to involve you in their process it's very important that you just ask some questions of like so talk to me about the journey about what you guys are up to and and if it's none of my business then obviously it's none of my business but I'm just intrigued to know where you're at because you actually might find an opportunity to help them build some trust with each other maybe there's something on a financial aspect that even other people can help help towards um so yeah that feels like um they're not top five reasons but that's probably a major reason and a question i would want to bring rather than elusive this is why you don't do it i hope that makes sense someone's asked what are the 
early signs of codependency and how do you help people with it? Codependency, my word, it's such a huge subject and I do have a podcast on codependency way back in this um, podcast series. Um, It's really worth having a listen to it. But I don't think I even answered what are the early signs. The early signs to me are normally when someone else's day is being dictated by someone else's behavior. Um, If someone doesn't mean to say you can't be upset or, or angered or <laughs> or frustrated with someone else's response on something or they've done something to you. That's a natural hum, human thing to do. Um, but when someone is beginning to spend all of their thought life, all of their feelings, all of their conversation on either one particular person or um, they're finding themselves meshed around um, one particular person's behavior, Um, you'll actually find this an awful lot. It's very indicative in dating itself. It's one of the reasons why I became so fascinated with actually talking about dating and dating well, because I often found it wasn't so much the dating part of the journey that was in array in the church. It was actually our tendency to be codependent because, of course, we're rushing to the church to be saved, to be rescued. And then we have this tendency to expect other people in the congregation to do that with us too in a relationship. Did she just say it? Yes, she did. She did. Read. Um, but I actually, so there are certain subtleties of um, codependency. I think if people are pulling or demanding on other people, if there are passive remarks about someone not being there for them all the time, or well, you seem to always be busy, those very tiny, small things can actually be um, certain indicators of uh, a, a potential to have overt expectations over somebody else and it's dictating somehow their own feelings and behaviours or creating forms of bitterness or resentment and that's some of the stuff that we really want to avoid. So I hope that helps. How do you help people with it? Gosh, I often push people to my to my podcast or I, I um, push people to um, a lovely book if they're believers on uh, From Bondage to Bonding. Um, I think it's a very powerful book looking at codependency, how Jesus did relationships with people um, and just the nonchalance that he had essentially on other people's behaviors. He obviously would challenge people in a very truthful, very direct way at times, but he also didn't chase up. He didn't um, waste a lot of his day on trying to convince or persuade people into a certain form of behavior when they clearly weren't wanting to take ownership themselves. So I think Whenever I see someone kind of get swept up in the codependency of someone else, um, if they're swept up in someone else's behavior, I might ask the questions, why do you think this is taking so much of your focus? What do you think this is about this particular person or this scenario that is losing so much of your peace? What is it that is making you actually turn your great kindness into potentially bitter moments? So let's try and avoid that if we can, because I really want us to make sure that you have some element of peace, even if this is a difficult time for you. So I hope that helps a little bit. Someone's asked me, Oh, bless you. Someone's asked me, any tips on flirting? I'll tell you how not to do it. Don't don't use your sexuality as your main connection point. And I mean, there are plenty of ways to flirt in the sense of just general eye contact or smiling at someone for a a little bit too long. Um, Those kind of things are very sweet. But when you start to overtly use your sexuality towards the opposite sex... A, it exposes you and gives off a very different kind of message than I think we're wanting to give, which is the fact that we are 
we are actually kind of priceless people. We're not easy to give away and we're, we don't cast our pearls out there so quickly. Um, and whenever I have done that, it's always felt very vulnerable afterwards. And so um, these days I'm, I'm very much hoping and trying to be a lot more fun with it. I think being encouraging and being empowering, finding places to compliment people in, it's actually a form of flirting, believe it or not. It does also have to be very guarded. This is why a lot of the times girls will think that guys actually really like them because they've been very encouraging and very empowering and very complimentary or, or kind of sort them out in the crowd. Um, that's why I think there are times that people can misconstrue that. But because equally, just having someone warm and infectiously kind and infectiously um, appreciative of another person's skill set, to me, that's kind of flirting. But if you're living your life to flirt, Ooh, because there have been times, and I see this, I've actually seen this recently with someone where they were constantly complimenting every single person around them. And they were uh, something about their look or their smile or their necklace or how pretty they were or um, brushing off all these compliments to a thousand different girls. And I, I just went, wow, you just love to make people feel like that, but I don't think it's coming from the, a good space. I think it's coming from a place that you feel approved of, that you feel loved back, and that doesn't feel... That is flirtatious, but it's coming from the wrong motivation, if that makes sense. So I think flirtatiousness actually has to come as a single, singular attitude. It should only be to one person at a time when you're actually intentionally wanting something to be more than what it is. Um, and I honestly would suggest that the finest type of flirting is people who, who communicate that they like you and to be a little bit more on the nose about it rather than trying to read between the lines. I think that's one of the areas that we actually struggle in the church is people just don't communicate as directly or as truthfully as I think we should. Um, because it's so much easier when people just go, hey, I like you. And if we can live on that basis that people will just tell you if they like you rather than pretend they're your friend when they're not then I think we can actually build a, a greater sense of cultural trust that says, they'll tell me if they like me, and I'm just going to take it at that, that, that frame of mind. But flirting in itself, don't flirt for the sake of it. Don't flirt for the fun attention. It's not worth it. It's just going to kind of, it's essentially you barking up the wrong tree, if that makes sense. I'd always like to know where that phrase even comes from, barking up the wrong tree. What's the right tree to bark up? Was there even a right tree to bark up in the first place? Why are you barking up a tree? Why are you not barking down the road or, you know, in some sort of small coffee shop? <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop. Someone has asked, <laughs> are you secretly dating someone? Darling, I couldn't possibly share that information. If I was, I wouldn't be a secret anymore, would it? Um, have I gone on dates recently? Yes, I have. Have I loved them? Absolutely. Um, is it the person that was in my Instagram story a few days ago? No, it was not. I got a lot of messages asking me if the guy sliding down the banisters was indeed my new boy. <laughs> and as handsome as he is, no, he's been a, he's a brother to me. Um, but no, I've... Um, 
I one of the main major reasons why I moved to Los Angeles was actually so I could actually date more. I wasn't able to date very much up in my job in uh, Northern California for many, many reasons um, and no one's fault. But just my life was so focused on work that I didn't have much of a social life. And it was really starting to get me down about a year ago. So um, I found myself finding myself being much more productive work-wise when I'm actually having a bit more of a social life in the evening. So I really loved... um, coming down to Los Angeles and meeting great guys and actually having a, a is very multicultural in Los Angeles. So having a great diverse array of people, I would also say this extraordinary to experience alpha males again, just so refreshing. And it makes me feel like a tiny little woman instead of being like a big giant female prancing around on stage somewhere in Northern California. It's really nice to feel tiny again. And I feel like I've discovered a new part of myself again, not because of the affections of somebody else, but actually because, oh, it's so good to be seen like that. So am I secretly dating someone? Darling, I couldn't possibly tell you. Let's just talk a little bit about single stuff for a moment, because quite a few of you have been asking about single stuff. Single stuff. Um, someone said, I want to get married, but fear it as well. I love being single, love being independent. Come on, girl. That's good. Sorry. I didn't mean to frighten everyone by clapping. Any advice? Um, I guess my question is, why do you want to get married? I remember someone asking me probably about eight months ago, give me the reason for you wanting to get married. And I didn't actually... Every answer that I was about to come out with felt a little bit self-pleasing, you know? And they felt a little bit, um, don't get me wrong, there are really brilliant reasons why one would want to get married. But it did actually make me ask outside of a Christian faith, what is the beauty of marriage? I mean, maybe we shouldn't look at anything outside of a Christian faith, sure. But I I just like to think sometimes, I'm like, why do we want to get married if... If you fear it as well, and that's why you're loving to be single, um, then I would suggest that the longer you avoid that and enjoy your independence and enjoy being single, the older you will get without facing some of those questions. So it might just be that not, there are some people that just aren't wired for marriage. There are some people that just feel um, they actually enjoy a single life much more so. And if you're wanting to get married because the rest of the world is, or because you feel like you are more likely to be a better leader, or you're a more trusted leader because you're married, those aren't the reasons to get married. I've actually got some, some of the highest level of female leaders that I know are actually single, believe it or not. And um, one of them is an extraordinary dean of a university in on the eastern parts of America rather than the western parts. Her brain is extraordinary. She's one of the most intelligent women's, um, women that I know. And um, I've really enjoyed her friendship in the last year. And she she often places very challenging, very brilliant points across um, that I've been unable to find anyone have better arguments against, if that makes sense. So she she would be one of those that would go, you need to ask yourself why you want to get married. 
And um, if you have a desire in your heart, or it's just like, well, I'd just like to. I'd like to do union with one person. I'd like to do covenant with one person. I feel like there's a part in covenant that I really would like to serve somebody else's vision. I'd like to champion someone else. I would love to have children. I feel like it's a worrying in myself. Well, they're, they're all great answers. Um, but I would say if there is anything dictating your life that is led by fear, that's the stuff you need to go after and go after now. Because... Even if you think, well, I'm not getting married, so this doesn't really matter. Those fearful things about commitment or being seen fully and in your own vulnerability and in your weakness, that stuff doesn't just come out in marriage. It comes out in any deep personal relationship with somebody else. So so if you have certain fears about marriage, I can almost promise you some of those fears will actually bleed into other parts of your life, especially around relationships, especially around work. So... Um, that wasn't me trying to go, well, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be wanting to be single that long. You know, there are some of my most famous, most brilliant, profound characters in the Bible and some of the most brilliant people on earth have been single. They haven't needed to, <laughs> to be married. Like you've heard me say this in the Single Focus podcast. But um, if, if you're fearful of it, then we need to ask, what are the things you're fearful of? Are you fearful of committing to one person? Are you fearful that you have such a love for variety that you won't actually be happy with just one person forever? Um, are you worried that um, it's just going to bring out the worst in you? Are you worried that you might have to be asked to have children? Um, a lot of those things can be answered pretty swiftly. It doesn't have to be this deep process that we all have to go through if that makes sense some of these things are just easily worked out but I would uh, I would stay away from fear as much as you can I've the next question is almost the flip side of that which is um do you ever wonder but what if I'm single for life as there's no guarantee of relationship and I would say that's very true I've had people in my life that have wanted to be married and um for whatever reason, they haven't. They've just not met the right one. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. They just didn't meet the right one. And it's very important to take away the shame from all of that because I think we then start to make very questionable decisions if we are carrying shame or guilt or self-worthlessness um, because of just that factor that we still not haven't been chosen by one person. It's very. It's probably my greatest battle that I have to do is to retain my confidence even when other people around me are questioning that. And I would say that those who are in my closest inner circle are never questioning my worth, my brilliance, how I am. I'm not saying that with arrogance. I'm just saying that with these are people that see the utter darkness in my life. Not that I've had you, that sounds awful. Not that I've had much of that, but I just mean on my, my worst days, they see it all. They get to see it all. And they find it a privilege to be in that. And they are also my greatest champions. And so I wouldn't believe their championship if they didn't get to see me in my toughest days. And so on those toughest days of what if I'm single for life? And I've actually been able to start looking at, I think that that question only comes up if I've actually been holding off on certain things in my life that I felt were only able to happen in marriage. And of course, I... <laughs> I would love to have a sexually active lifestyle with a, with a husband, of course. But that cannot be your main reason why you want to get married because there are, I've counseled enough people to go through what sex drives look like and um, how different sex drives are 
very apparent in one marriage and how to navigate those things. I think sometimes we can look at marriage being the savior, being the rescuer itself of any pocket holes of where we're having a bad day. Um, we might think as singles, well, at least you've got your, your partner to go to during the quarantine. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also other things that will come up in that time. So we've got to be very careful to not roasting our glasses with a married, the married happy ending. On top of that, we can't be waiting for marriage to come, to come. I know there was another similar question that came to me that said, what do you do? How do you steward yourself when you're waiting for him, for the husband still? How do you navigate hope? How do you navigate not being disappointed all the time? Well, I think that happened to me more so um, in the, my mid, my mid thirties than now, because what I'm finding is Oh, I've just realized so much of my life can actually take place outside of marriage. I just have to shuffle some things around. So for example, I'm interviewing a huge amount of single foster parents right now. Some of them are single foster dads and some of them are single foster women and their ability to love and they just had a desire to love. So they, they felt like they were trapped, unable to give any of that love until, um, until they were married. Well, what's fascinating to me is that some of these people went, I'm so blessed with a house. I'm blessed with spare bedrooms, but it's not a blessing until I get to bless somebody else with it. So they went into foster care and started taking on foster children. And the Lord knows we need more people like that, that are actually taking on this, um, new storyline of unusual and yet necessary people to love people unconditionally. And what's beautiful is watching some people that have been taking this choice have actually grown so much in their confidence. I can't tell you how many people have, have uh, got this amazing sense of character. They've learned how to love the most difficult cases. And in that, they've they've developed the most incredible heart postures, which I'm like, oh, you are without question the finest marriage material. Um, and at that point as well, that they're also learning what their passions are, which is fostering and adoption. They're learning what their likes and dislikes are. And some people might go, well, that makes it much harder to find a, another person, isn't it? If you've got, if you're taking care of a few kids, harder to find someone. Well, I truly do believe that the, on, the, the honor and the blessing to that person will multiply because they've been willing to honor and bless other people. And I really do feel that my my heart to want to have family, my heart to want to take care of children, I always had a, a, a desire to take care of adoptive or foster children um, ever since I was about 21. And more so than biological, I know that's not everyone's bent, but that's certainly mine. And I think I think the the thing for me was I was sort of waiting for the significant other to turn up. And then I started to realize, why am I doing that? I think it's a lack of trust in myself that I can, I know, ideally it would be wonderful to have, you know, a father and mother into that person, that child's life. So they have a complete diverse range of voices and different um, energies around them. But, but if this is all I have right now, then what can, what can, how can I make the very most of my life? And how can I make it so golden that I have much lesser days where I'm waiting for, for the existence of somebody else to turn up just to make me happy? Does that make sense? So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that sort of helps in the sense of, yeah, we don't know what the cards that we're going to be dealt with. I've got friends that married 
spouses when they're in their early 20s and lost them when they were 35 years of age and had to restart all over again. I had friends that um, had waited for a long time until their 50s and married and only had them for 10 years and had to lose them. I've had friends that have never married, but my God, they've got the most extraordinary favor on their voice and their influence in the world that it's been, they've mothered hundreds and if not thousands of people by the impact of their thoughts and their words, they've often be the go-to voice in a time of strife. And so honestly, for me, I think I'm so deeply impacted by the ones that have made the very best of it. And I remember a friend of mine sat down about a year and a half ago and she said, I just wouldn't wait for the guy to show up. And she said, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be disappointing or to lack hope for you. She said, because the story over your life is going to be like the rock of ages. It's going to be insane. But I do think part of you not waiting for him will be part of the story. And I do actually believe that you carrying on with your life. I mean, I would say this, it's very easy to get very um, self-focused in quarantine, for example. It's very easy to start thinking of all the problems that are going on wrong in your life. But if you can change the heart posture to go, who else needs our help? Someone told me a fact earlier today in a meeting that really threw me off. And I was thinking about all of those that are dying with the coronavirus. Obviously, it's it's a form of pneumonia. And I know that flu kills more people than this. But the most devastating factor of this entire virus is the fact that so many NGOs, so many charities and nonprofits are losing so much money that the real vulnerable, the ones that were already starving in Africa, and now likely not to survive because we don't have the money to provide for them because we're going through one of the greatest depressions of, of an economic disaster than we have in, well, for a long, to- long, long time. And, um, and so my heart to look around in your neighborhood to even just... <laughs> to share just your toilet rolls with people in your apartment block that you know are feeling isolated and vulnerable and on their own. There are just so, there are too many people to help out there that it actually helps us to just shift ourselves away from the self of introspection and the powerlessness that happens. And so I've actually got busier during this time, not because I'm uncomfortable or that I have to be in a three all the time, but I've got busier because I'm like, there are people that need our help. And so let's just do that. (laughs) And it helps me not sit on my own and feel sorry for myself because I'm single. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time like that. I I think for the first three days of quarantine, I don't think I saw anyone for three days. And it was all video calls, all Zooming, all Skypes with my mum. But gosh, when I actually just had a walk around the block with a neighbour who's a dear friend of mine and has been for many years... I was like, oh, I just needed, I just needed a loving face. That's all I needed. I just realized that. And so um, to be kind to yourself in those questions of, but what if I'm single for life? What if, what if we don't go, what if I'm single and see that as a negative conversation? What if we look at it and go, how could I be the most useful? And I don't mean to say completely bulldoze your entire heart's desire. Feel free to be... Um, more powerful in that statement and go, what if I actually start accepting and adapting to the idea that, yeah, I didn't want online dating to be my story, but what if I actually adapt to it 
being part of the beginning of the story? What if I actually go out there and make a few more activations in order for me to place myself in more scenarios and places and events where more and more people can actually meet me? Um, so it's a little bit of like, where can I be most powerful um, in in my life and in my choices when there are so many other things that don't get to be dictated by me, like the choice of love from somebody else. You can't make anyone love you. And so, yeah, that is very much dependent on the choice of man. It's not even on the choice of our Lord. It's on the choice of another person. And the Lord has to respect that too. So in all of those puzzle pieces of becoming married, my biggest hope and my biggest heart is that we as a church stop making it such an idol because there are people to save, there are children that are hungry, there are fostered children that are longing for adoption, and there are marriages that are falling apart because they are exhausted and burnt out and tired. So I bet that person, whoever asked that, is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I even asked the question. I'm just saying there is a shift of things that if we, um, I think sometimes we like to cocoon down into a family and 2.4 children, but actually there is so much more that we can get involved in and do. And honestly, you'll feel your life come back because you're aligning into what the Lord's saying yes to in your life, not what you're waiting for, if that makes sense. Um, let's go a little bit into personal, just a few questions on that one. Someone's asked, I was wondering what three books you would recommend for Norris, novice writers. Um, I haven't read it, but Stephen King's book apparently is very good. Um, there's another book by William Zinzer called On Writing Well. Whenever I've done my, um, my writing retreat, and I've been teaching on that. That was one of my favorite books um, in the sense of just structure and getting rid of the fluff. Um, and the third book on why to write, and it's a very old book, and I cannot, I think it's Brenda something, I can't remember the author, but I know that was one of Bill Johnson's favorite books, and I would highly recommend that. Um, I read it a while back, and it's just a lovely permission. I also actually like Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, but that's more about being creative and the risk and the vulnerability of it. But it's certainly worth looking at as well, just to kind of get you stepping out into your own voice. So that's one to look at. A uh, couple of questions about the book that's coming out, The Noble Renaissance. It's about building noble character, what makes someone noble and what stops people from being noble. Um, that's coming out. It's I signed the deal with HarperCollins and Emanate Books. It's um, coming out June the 2nd. Um, and you'll be glad to know I have an audio book on this one this time. So it's very exciting. I recorded one day of it. And then, of course, we all went down into quarantine. Um, but hopefully we'll be recording the next two days um, before the launch on the 2nd of June. So look out for that, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the lovely places. Um, someone said, what are you most excited about for your new book launch? I feel like the time of writing this book was actually perfect. Um, we've been in so much political divisiveness. Um, and I was just intrigued, even as an atheist, what was it that made me want to come back to 
Christianity because there was a time where I was just seeing some very poor behavior in the church and very ignoble choices. And it didn't make any sense to me. It didn't add up with what I was reading in the Bible to what I was seeing out in the church. So um, it it was actually the, the few people that I was being introduced to again were very noble people making very wise, very kind choices. And no matter what they were being faced with, they made very noble moves and they inspired me beyond and above anyone else in the world because of how they acted in nobility. So I'm excited for that because I think we're losing the virtue of nobility. And I do think if we're not careful, we're going to lose it as a, as a part of our vocabulary. And so I want to kind of put it back on the lips and hopefully start some sort of renaissance of, and a revival of what, what is the noble choice. So that's what I'm excited about the book. And, um, and I've just really loved writing this book with the team and all the all the efforts that everyone's been putting into it. I've been so grateful for that. Someone said, are you an introvert or an extrovert? How do you build community as an introvert? I'm actually both. I'm a bit of an introvert, especially as a writer. I like time alone and I like... So those three days I mentioned of self-quarantine... <laughs> um, uh, I was all right for day one, day two. It was day three that I was like, oh, yeah, need people now. Definitely need people. Um, or just sort of interaction or reminding myself. Because even when I was going outside, there was no one. So um, it was just a very strange time. It felt like I was living in a virtual reality of some sort. Um, so I am actually a mixture, which is a real blessing. Um, how do you build community as an introvert? Well, that's... You'll probably find introverts have a, a much smaller amount of people, um, and that's okay. But I think it's very important that in, that extrovert or introverts are not misguided or misunderstood as being shy. Introverts actually can be quite bold and confident people. They just like a lot of time on their own. So um, to build community as an introvert, that's a hard thing to say because I think introverts are actually quite good at building community if they're confident people. If they're shy or powerless or, um, I mean, here's the deal. I, I know a lot of extroverts that have thousands of friends, but I wouldn't necessarily say they have good community. Does that make sense? Community and having a lot of friends or, or having a lot of people in your life are two different things. And community is a collection of people that you get to go hard and fast with and deep with. They get to challenge you. They get to be your accountability. They get to have fun with you. They're there to cheerlead you in the best moments and pass you a tissue in the worst. Um, but I've known many extroverts that have come in and they feel so unknown because they've spent years just spreading them out, themselves so thinly and working on lots of different projects that have lots of different people on set. And I've seen at times, I'm like, gosh, you're so lonely. Even though you're surrounded by so many people, you're so, so lonely. Um, because they don't really know how to be themselves. So to build community actually requires some authenticity. It actually requires you to... Um, I, I think actually going after similar passions is always a great space because you've got that in common to begin with. Of course, church is a great way of doing that. But if you're going to a mega church, you have to be a lot more um, activated and take much more initiative on finding a smaller group of people around you. Um, just ensure as an introvert that you're not using it as a form of isolation, as a form of hiding. 
Um, and I've seen that too a lot where people just like to go away and go into the cave because they don't want to be a burden. They don't want to be difficult. They don't want to, um, really be seen in, in the messy part. They just always want to be on form. And so, but the kinder they are, the more, um, self, the more, the more graceful they are to themselves, the better they will be in community. Um, and the more graceful they'll be on messing it up, um, which we might all do at some point even on little levels. <sighs> and I'll end on a lighter one, because, oh gosh, we're getting to 43 minutes now. Um, how do you steward your health, eating healthy, etc.? A few tips. Um, one is, I really have just learnt to know what my body likes and what it doesn't like. I, I don't take huge amounts of dairy. Um, I probably verge more on the likes of the goats or the feta cheese because uh, it's easier for me to digest but I don't have much dairy because I know it can cause some serious sinus infections in fact a pastor friend of mine last night was like yeah we need to pray for your allergies and I'm like I know um uh wheat as well not a great one for me but if I'm in England it's fine it just digests differently over here um I do walk pretty much every day um and if I don't walk or it's raining outside, I've just bought myself a rebounder, especially in this quarantine time. It burns off a lot of um, excess energy and it's also a really great cardio workout. So um, even just 15 minutes on that is the equivalent of 30, 40 minutes of running. So um, I love the rebounder for that reason. And I have high ceilings here, thank the Lord. So, um, and we're on the ground floor. So we don't have to worry too much about making a noise. Um, yeah, I, I, on other, but I would say stewarding health comes from how I like me. So the more I like me, um, and the more I've learned to love how the Lord made me, um, and that looks so different to the person next to me, then the more I want to steward my body well. The less harsh I am on myself with the voice towards me, even when I may get a mistake wrong or I do it wrong, or even if I've eaten too much popcorn every day, I'll be like, okay, we'll probably do a bit better tomorrow. But that's all right, because, you know, you haven't had popcorn in a bit. So let's just enjoy it. So not not being cruel on the self, um, but I think the guilt-shame cycle of how we treat our bodies just makes us go into this, it can make people go into an emotional, healthy eating. I don't do diets, honestly. I always have something to replace as the thing that I have to remove. So for example, with dairy, I'll have oat milk. I always have things to replace, so I'm never coming from a place of lack or insufficiency. Diets are just a multi-billion game. And there is a reason why so many people are so successful in it, and yet there is a ginormous failure rate because obviously um, the, the just the pressure on... Um, the lack of what you can have. I mean, I, you know, when, when you know that you're going to go on a fast, for example, for five or six days, how many of you have huge amounts of food the night before? <laughs> so, so really, uh, I think just stewardship of uh, moderation and being kind to yourself and having a little plan of action of like, what's good for me? What's good for my body? What's nurturing? What's nourishing to my body? Um, and go from there. I was... Not a very exciting ending, was it? What else can I tell you? How do you authentically evangelize? Exactly that. Be authentic. And at the same time, 
I'm much more impressed by people that model the gospel than those who preach the gospel. Um, faith without works is dead, as we've been told. And um, I'll know what you believe by what you do. And so my heart for everyone is to understand just the power of what modeling the gospel looks like. And I'm sure we could do an entire episode just on modeling the gospel alone, but um, I just can't tell you how, how much more impactful it is when I see people walking out their integrity and their choices and the wisdom in which the Lord has given them, rather than trying to convince someone logically with the word about why there should be the existence of God. I was never argued into my faith. I was impressed upon by someone else's actions when I came back to the Lord. And my own encounters, of course. But I can't tell you how many seeds that were sown when I watched people with integrity make an honest move in a gossipy world, make a kind, merciful gesture in a very unjust moment. Those were the moments that preached the gospel to me. Those were the moments that I went, I want what you have because no one else in my world does that. And I want to know where you got that insight from because that was noble, that was brilliant, and I've seen nothing like it. You are set apart from other people. So my friends, even in a, a tough time like now, even in uh, the challenge of of the perseverance of pushing forward in the unknowns and and the how long is this going to take, please do ask yourself and start to ask yourselves as we start to go towards the launch of this book, what's the noble choice? I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On podcast. I've so loved your messages. If you're new to this, um, then I'm on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. And you're welcome to DM me there. I do read my own messages. We do have a little team that helped me out with it as well. And we have a Facebook page that is called Carrie Lloyd, funnily enough. So uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, if there's anything you wish to get in touch with us about, uh, then you can also go on to www.carrielloyd.live. That's my um, main website where you can contact us through there. Um, always a pleasure. Never a chore, darling. <laughs>